Before we get into our text, I just want to say it's been awesome being with everybody um, the last four Sundays. How many of you have taken our journey walk through the Bible? It's been great. We've had lots of fun, lots of laughs down there. Uh, matter of fact, a uh, dear sweet lady came up to my wife. She's at the resource table. Came up to her, She goes, we've had so much fun down there. We've had so many laughs. Your husband, he's so funny and cute. Says, is he that charming and funny at home? Shell said no. But we've had a good time together, and I've just really been privileged to be with your church family this week. So if you will, would you bow with me, please, as we approach our text for today? Father, we thank you so very much for allowing us to um, come together as a church family and to open your word. We ask now that you help us to soften our hearts and to hear your speaking. In Christ we pray. Amen. It's about two, three months ago, my youngest daughter, Mariah, we were at fifth grade girls basketball practice. I was sitting off on the side kind of reading a book, and I looked up right at the beginning of practice. I looked up, and the coach was walking across the court holding my daughter's arm, kind of babying her hand, uh uh-oh, and they coming towards me. And as soon as they got up towards me, I could tell that her finger had jammed or something. It was red and starting to swell a little bit. And so we hunted down the... um, one of the volunteer trainers, who is actually a veterinarian, but that's how you do things in the country. <laughs> and uh, he, uh, he looked at it, he says, you know, I don't, I don't think it's broken. I don't even think it's dislocated. He said, he goes, well, just take it home and put it on ice, and you'll know in the morning. You'll know if, you know, there's bigger issues. And so we hopped in the car, we went on home, and I got her set up at our kitchen counter and got a bowl of ice water and put ice and water in it. And I said, now, honey, just trust me, it's going to be very uncomfortable, but just trust me, you're going to have to soak your finger in this ice water. And then you can take it out occasionally, kind of dry it off, but for really most of the night, you need to be soaking your finger in this ice water off and on. So, okay, Daddy. And so she sat there, and she soaked it for a while, and I went off and did some other things, came back through, and noticed that she was um, sitting in the uh, TV room, a family room, watching TV, and sure enough, she had the bowl of ice water sitting on her lap, kind of soaking her finger, giving me the stink eye. I said, honey, trust me, okay? It's going to feel better. Just trust me. Okay, Daddy. I went off. A little bit later, I came back through the kitchen, and she was back at the counter eating her bedtime snack, and sure enough, had her bowl of water there and was kind of soaking her her finger in the water. I made my way through the kitchen, and I kind of hear this little voice behind me. She says, Daddy, Daddy, I trust you but it still hurts. There's something about those words for a father that sunk deep, that tension between faith and fear, that dissonance between trust and pain, that counterpoint between calling out in faith and crying out in pain. Daddy, Daddy, I trust you. But it, but it, it really hurts. I don't know. I don't know, but perhaps these were the words of young Isaac. Remember Isaac? When Abraham, God had told Abraham, take your son Isaac and offer him as a sacrifice. And I always picture Isaac maybe 10, 11, 12. The Bible doesn't really say. I picture him as kind of a young adolescent all excited about an adventure with dad. And here we go on this exciting, come on dad, and this is fun. And dad, I have the wood and I have the fire and I have the knife. Hey daddy, we, we forgot the sacrifice. 
Abraham says, God will provide. Okay, Dad, off we go. And, you know, an adventure with Dad, that's a lot of fun. And off they go to the place of sacrifice. Abraham starts stacking up the, the stones and putting on the wood. Dad, this is so much fun. Thanks for bringing me along. Then Abraham grabs his son and starts to bind him to the, to the wood. Daddy, Daddy, what are you doing? God will provide. Daddy, I trust you. This hurts. I don't know. Perhaps as Abraham lifted his knife in obedience to God, kind of over his shoulder, said the same words. Father, Father, I trust you. This really hurts. I don't know, maybe Job. After Job gets word that he had lost his entire estate, all of his wealth, all of his servants, his house, his entire family was gone except his wife, and she was a piece of work. (laughs) Maybe Job cried out, Father, I trust you. I trust you, but this, this still hurts. Perhaps when prophet Zechariah was stoned to death at the temple court by order of the king, or John the Baptist prior to his decapitation, or Stephen, his life was leaving his body at the hands of Paul, or Saul at that time, said, Father, I trust you. This hurts. I don't know. But perhaps it was this type of refrain, this kind of tension between trust and suffering that Peter had in mind when he penned our text for today. Craig asked me to share this morning from 1 Peter chapter 4, 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19 regarding suffering. Um, and I know we've all been on this junket together through the book of 1 Peter. Matter of fact, I've had the chance to um, kind of sit in on some of the messages and that's helped me in my preparation for sharing this text. And what's kind of struck me as you guys have walked through 1 Peter are some of the amazing themes that have surfaced out of this relatively short book. There's been the call to be holy. Why? Because God is holy, chapter 1. A reminder that our identity in Christ, that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, chapter 2, who are prepared to give an account, a defense for the hope that we have in Christ, chapter 3, and that we should love and serve each other according to the gifts, the beginning of chapter 4. Some amazing, powerful themes that have surfaced from our text. Um, Lots of important themes in this book. And one of the most important and powerful dominant themes in the book is the theme of suffering. And unlike some of the other issues, the theme of suffering, it's not just limited to just one section. It's not just limited to just one paragraph, but rather it kind of coils its way throughout the book. So before we approach our text for today, I want to review, and it's already on the screen. You're kind of ahead of me, sweetie. I want to review, there we go, I want to review how Paul, or Peter, has already kind of introduced um, this um, very powerful, this rich concept of suffering, kind of like a thread, or maybe a better metaphor would be as mortar, kind of throughout, that holds the entire book together. So let's see what Peter has already done with suffering before we look at our text today. In chapter 1, he says, the prophets foretold how Christ would suffer. Chapter 2, Peter addresses unjust suffering, and if we suffer for doing good, how it is commendable for God. 
Later in chapter 2, he says, when Christ suffered, he made no threats. In chapter 3, he says, if we should suffer, we should suffer for what is right. We're blessed. He continues, he says, for it's better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins to bring us to God. At the beginning of chapter 4, just prior to our text for today, he says, since Christ suffered physical pain, we must be ready to suffer too. When we suffer physically for Christ, we are finished with sin. And then we come to our text for today, right here at the end of chapter 4, but he doesn't conclude suffering with our text. He continues with the theme in chapter 5. In chapter 5, immediately following our passage, he claims, I too am an elder and a witness to the suffering of Christ. Matter of fact, I think it's interesting in chapter 5, with just following our text on suffering, he immediately goes into this affirmation to elders, how elders are to shepherd the flock, and it's right in that context of suffering. Later in chapter 5, Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering, he said. Go ahead and click to the next couple. Here we go. And then in verse 10, he says, after you have suffered, and then notice this, you suffered a little while, he says. Christ will restore, support, and strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. You see how the theme of suffering, Peter has wound throughout this entire book, kind of like mortar holding all the pieces together. Matter of fact, of the 21 times that the verb suffering is used in all the epistles, if you look at all the epistles, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Romans, you take all the epistles, the word suffering as a verb is used 21 times, and 10 of them are right here in this very short book of 1st Peter. And so with that as our background, let's go ahead and read our text for today, which is 1st Peter 4, 12 through 19. He begins, Dear friends, do not be surprised, or literally stop being surprised. There's kind of an assumption that this is surprising them. He says, stop being surprised at the fiery trials you're going through. Now, if you're looking at the NIV, and I know a lot of people use the NIV, um, you'll see the NIV reads painful trial. And I think that's kind of a weak rendering because actually what he does here, he uses the word fiery trial that is a direct reference um, to the refiner's fire, the, the crucible that is used to purge out impurities. He says, don't be surprised when you go through this crucible, when this this refiner's fire, as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, rejoice, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. So you are blessed when you are insulted for being a Christian. What? What? Blessed? I don't feel blessed. I feel mad. I get upset when I'm insulted for my faith. This word blessed is the exact same word that Jesus used back in chapter 5 of Matthew in the Beatitude when he says you're blessed when people insult you because of me. Why? He says, for then the glorious spirit of God rests upon you. Verse 15, however, do not cause your own suffering because of murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs. But do not be ashamed to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. For the time has come for judgment and must begin with God's household. And if judgment begins with us, what terrible fate awaits those who have never obeyed God's good news? Then he quotes from Proverbs 11, If the righteous are barely saved, what will happen to godless sinners? So, and then he kind of wraps it up. This is a conjunction, a kind of therefore, in summary, in conclusion. If you are suffering... According to the will of God, 
by doing what is right, then I love this phrase, then trust your souls to the creator. Now for the grammarians that are out there, or should I say both grammarians that are out there that kind of enjoy grammar, go back to maybe junior high grammar class. What struck me as I looked at the original text here is there are six, Peter uses six imperatives in this text. Now you remember what an imperative is? An imperative is a command. It's when someone tells you something to do. Six times Peter uses imperatives in the text that we just read for today. And it just so happens three of these are negative imperatives, negative commands, which are called prohibitions. We have three prohibitions, and then we have three positive commands. And so I thought these two subsets might be kind of a nice little way to structure some of our thoughts about the text. So let me begin, number one, let me look at the first three negative commands, they're called prohibitions, three prohibitions, three actions that we should avoid, according to Peter in this text. Verse 12, number one, he says, do not be surprised when suffering for Christ. Number two, verse 15, he says, and do not cause your own suffering Because of the bad choices that we make, we need to do a little root cause analysis, it says. And if you're suffering, you need to find out, is it based on your own unpleasant behavior? And then the third prohibition, in verse 16, he says, and don't be ashamed when suffering for Christ. Now what I want to do, let me just kind of address these three together. Let me address these three prohibitions kind of in unison, because all three prohibitions are very important, because they help us to understand Peter's definition of suffering. He says, suffering should not be surprising. Suffering, it should not cause shame. Suffering should not be confused with pain or punishment that we might deserve, but rather he's saying that suffering that he's focusing on, this type of suffering he's talking about, is suffering solely due to the fact that we follow Jesus. Just as the suffering of Christ was necessary for the redemption of the world, suffering for Christ is the norm and to be expected for every believer. You see, our suffering for Christ is predicated upon his suffering for us. Notice what he's doing here in his definition of suffering. He's giving us a very narrow, a very thin definition of suffering. It's not how we often use suffering. When we use the word suffering, we use it in a much broader sense, a much wider sense of suffering. And maybe that's what first came to mind when you saw we're going to focus on suffering this morning. We, we thought in a much broader category of suffering. We talk about how we've been suffering under this dreadful weather. Amen? Talking about suffering through a rough economy, suffering through the death of a family member, suffering from an illness, suffering from a corrupt government, suffering as a Cubs fan, (laughs) suffering from racism, sexism, political bias. Now, let me just share here. Scripture is very, is keenly aware of those types of suffering. Um, Scripture is very aware of the pain and the anguish and the grief um, matter of fact, last, um, yesterday I met with the worship gals and we all prayed together for this service and a couple of them shared how for your church family right now seems to be that you're in kind of this season of suffering, um, kind of maybe a heavier season of suffering than most. And certainly I want to acknowledge that. I want to kind of affirm that you've come to the right place, that this is a place to grieve together and to support each other and to lift each other and to build each other up in these times of suffering. But as Peter's talking about suffering here, it's important for us to realize that for this text, Peter's being much more focused, very specific, very pointed, very intentional. It is suffering because of Jesus. It's not just any kind of suffering. It's very specific suffering because of Jesus Christ. The suffering that Peter is talking about here is 
is standing by a fire, warming yourself by a fire, as your best friend and Lord is being beaten before your eyes, soon to be crucified. You're terrified, you want to hide, you want to help, you're not sure what to do. And someone else standing there in the crowd says, hey, you're one of his followers, aren't you? Hey, you're, you come from the same area that he come. You, you followed him, haven't you? You've been hanging around with him. You know, maybe you should be tried next to him. You know, we have plenty of crosses back there. I find it interesting, the images from that night. You know, the night that Peter denied Jesus. The images from that night, he seems to be surfacing here within our text. You see some of those images from that night? Fire. Remember he was warming himself by a fire that night? In verse 12 he says he refers to fiery trials. Insults. He was insulted for following Jesus. Jesus was insulted at his trial. And in verse 14 he says we're blessed when we're insulted. Just the whole theme of suffering. And there he was facing the brutal suffering a few feet from the beatings of Christ. Or shame. He was ashamed to admit that he followed Jesus. Then later, after the rooster crowed and Jesus looked at him, he he was ashamed. And in verse 16, he says, we should not be ashamed. What's the point? Peter knows firsthand. Peter knows firsthand that standing near Jesus, following Jesus, is hard. May cost us dearly. So we learn from these three prohibitions that suffering which Peter is talking about, it's standing by Jesus. Be it at the campfire in Jerusalem, the water cooler in your office, a locker at school. It's standing in the face of hostility, anger, bias, prejudice. And Peter says, don't be surprised. It's expected. Don't be ashamed. It's not because you violated any laws or done anything wrong, but rather it is solely because of Jesus. Didn't Jesus promise us as much in Matthew 5? Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. I find it interesting here that Peter's view of suffering, to contrast that with the Jewish view of suffering, you see in Jewish literature of Peter's day, suffering, they saw suffering as bringing you closer to God. In the rabbinic tradition, suffering brought you closer to God. For Peter, he says, no, it's just the opposite. Suffering doesn't necessarily bring us closer to God, but rather coming closer to God through Christ is what brings about suffering. He says, suffering does not cause a close relationship with Christ, but rather is a result of it. So if the three prohibitions help define for us suffering, then let's turn our attention to the three commands. From what we should avoid to what we should do. What should we do? The three positive commands that Peter gives us, three of them. Number one is in verse 13. He says, rejoice when suffering. Number two is in verse 16. He says, praise, glorify God while suffering. The third positive command is in verse 19. He says, entrust your souls to the creator. Really, Peter? In the middle of suffering, in the middle of pain, you want us to rejoice? You want us to praise God? You want us to trust in him? Could this be one of those paradoxes of living the Christian life? You know, like salvation is a free gift, but it costs you everything? Or we've been set free from bondage to surrender as a slave? Likewise, when we suffer for Jesus, it should stimulate praise? 
You remember when Job, after Job heard that he had lost his family, lost his life, lost his career, lost everything, the Bible says that he fell on the ground in worship. You see, coming closer to Jesus indeed will cause persecution and suffering. And correct response to that type of suffering should not be bitterness. It should not be anger. It should not be closing and withdrawing inwardly. But it should open us up in worship and praise. When John the Baptist's friends heard that their friend, John the Baptist, had been beheaded, the Bible says that they went and they got his body and they took and they buried his body, his best friends. And I find it interesting in the exact same verse that it says that they buried his body, it says that they buried his body. And then they went to find Jesus. See, there's something about the pain, something about the suffering that can draw us, with the right response, can draw us closer to Christ. Peter is not just speaking in hyperbole here. A suffering response should not be bitterness or closing in, but should be one of worship. It's a command, he says. You may not feel like it, but do it. Each one of the disciples had to count the cost. Tradition tells us that Peter, who wrote this book, was actually crucified upside down. James was beheaded by Herod. John exiled to Patmos. Andrew crucified. Philip was martyred. Bartholomew was flayed to death. I'm not even exactly sure what that means, but I think I can figure it out. Thomas and Matthew were martyred. James was crucified. Jude was killed in Persia. Simon the Zealot was crucified. And Paul was beheaded by Nero. But nevertheless, Peter says, even to the point of death, when we suffer for Jesus, we sing. So let me kind of wrap this all up with what I'm going to call some takeaway reflection questions. I have four kind of reflection questions to take away. Question number one, if my following Jesus does not hurt at all, am I fully following him? If my following Jesus does not hurt at all, am I fully following him? Maybe our natural tendency for pain avoidance has kept us from full devotion to Christ. Is there some area of my life, if I surrendered that area completely to Jesus, now that would really, really hurt. Peter says, don't be surprised when you suffer for Jesus. So then is a logical conclusion that we should be surprised if our following Jesus doesn't cause any pain, doesn't cause any conflict, doesn't cause any sacrifice or suffering. Honestly, when I first started studying the text, the gap I couldn't get over was the huge gap between the original hearers of this text and the world that we live in today. We live in such different world. This is underscored by a document that was unearthed about 40, 50 years after Peter writes these words to the early church. The Roman governor Trajan overseeing actually one of the provinces that this letter was being sent wrote to the emperor. As Pliny wrote to the emperor Trajan for advice on how to deal with Christians. Here's what he writes. He says, I've never taken part in investigating Christians, so I do not know really what charge is usually brought against them. Neither do I know whether punishment is given just for the sake of wearing the name Christian, apart from the secret crimes connected to the name. This is, of course, that I have taken. I ask them 
if they were Christians. If they said yes, I asked them a second time and a third time with threats of punishment. If they still said yes, I ordered them to be executed. Those who denied being a Christians, I thought it right to let them go. At my order, they recite a prayer to the gods, offer incense and wine to your statue, and curse Christ. Those who really are Christians cannot be made to do these things. They were persecuted, some to the point of death, for their faith in Jesus. So, question number one, if my following Jesus does not hurt at all, am I really following him? Question number two, what is Jesus asking of me that would really hurt? I came to this conclusion, studying through 1 Peter, that if we're following Christ and it does not cause any turmoil, any conflict, any suffering, then perhaps what we need to do is we need to go back through 1 Peter again. Look at the sections on holiness. Talk about the sections in chapter 3 on humble compassion. Remember the mandates to spouses or giving a defense for the hope that we have or living for God and not evil desires in the world. And I don't want to come, you know, extremely harsh here, but perhaps if we are not resonating with suffering at the end of chapter 4, perhaps we need to take a harder look at if we're living according to the first three and a half chapters that lead up to it. So only you can answer for yourself what needs to go, even if it hurts. What needs to change, even if it causes pain? What is God calling from me, even if it's unpopular? What is Jesus asking of me today, even if it hurts? Number three. Reflection question number three. Can I thank and praise God for the pain of my life? Can I thank and praise God for the pain of my life? Again, not talking any pain, but pain and suffering specifically as a result from following Jesus. There's some here right now. It really hurts to follow Jesus. Friends mock you at school. Spouse doesn't get it. Subtle disdain and condescension from your boss. Called names for eating at Chick-fil-A and supporting Duck Dynasty. Yeah, lost some former friends, not included with the cool students at cool, laughed at because of your view on creation. Your own family mocks the Christ that you hold dear. For some people here, following Jesus, it hurts. It's hard. And you need to remember what Peter says here, suffering, it's not the end. Chapter 5, remember, he says, it's just for a little while. It's kind of like Paul promises in Romans 8. He says, when we share in Christ's suffering, we share in his glory. He says it's kind of like waiting for a newborn, waiting for a baby, because Paul knows that after the baby is born, the miracle of holding the baby, holding the newborn, it helps us forget. It helped my wife forget. Once holding the newborn, it helped her forget the labor pains? Yeah. The sleepless nights? You bet. The weird hunger pains? Sure. And holding the newborn baby helped her forget all of the stupid things I said during labor. Mind if I turn on the TV? <laughs> you know, the monitor says this contradiction or this con contraction really shouldn't hurt so bad. If you're not going to eat that, can I have your dessert? <laughs> Peter knows holding the baby, you forget the pain, you forget the suffering, that it was just for a little while, and now it is all worth it. That's what he says. 
about suffering. The book of Revelation, every one of the seven letters to the seven churches ends with a triumphant affirmation to those who overcome, to those who stand firm in the face of persecution and suffering. Revelation 2 says, regardless of how dark your world may be, I will give you the morning star. Revelation 3, regardless of how bloodied you are, I will give you new clothes. Revelation 3, regardless of what people may call you, you will bear a new name. Revelation 3.21, regardless of what beast you are facing, to those who are faithful, to those who overcome, Jesus says, like I overcame, you will join me on my throne. And so we can praise through suffering. Why? Because we know it's just for a little while. Last question I want to lift up this morning, question number four. Am I ready to say, not my will, but thine? I stumbled across something kind of interesting in my study of this text. At least it was interesting to me. Remember in verse 19, the word trust. Right at the end of verse 19, Peter said, trust your souls to the creator. It's interesting to me, Peter didn't use the normal word for trust. There's a very generic word used all the time in the Bible for trust. It's not the word that Peter chose. But rather the word that Peter chose is a word that's also translated in our Bibles, commit. To commit fully to something or someone. Well, why would he choose that word? Well, perhaps because it's the same word that Jesus used when he's hanging on the cross, middle of the pain, middle of his suffering, when he says, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And so it brings us back, am I ready to say, not my will, but thine. Or put like this, Daddy, I trust you, even when it hurts. Let's pray. Father, our hearts are softened here as we just contemplate the pain and the suffering through the millennia on behalf of Christ. And now we come before you as your church, thankful that we can suffer and that our suffering is just for a little while and that there's something much better to come. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to move into our decision time.